Romans 8, verses 28 to 39. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns Christ Jesus, who died? More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we come before you as one who loves to hear our requests and asks that as we've sung already this evening, that as we open your words together, you would strengthen our trust in you, you would strengthen our hope in you, so that whatever life throws at us, we would stand upon your word, upon the promises you've made to us. We would stand upon them until the end. 
for your honour. Amen. Well, if you've been with us then over the last few weeks, you'll know that we're in the uh, middle section of the book of Romans, uh, largely thinking, how do we live the Christian life? How do we make progress? How do we change? How do we keep going in the Christian life? Uh, And in particular, over the last few weeks, as we've looked at this chapter, chapter 8 of the book of Romans, we've seen that it's, well, Paul's great concern is to persuade us that we'll stand, that as Christians we'll keep going. He wants to assure us that we'll be there on that last day. And so tonight we come to a very, very practical question. Okay, how will we do that when hard times come? How will we endure through suffering to still be Christians on that last day? Or it's a question you can ask if you're a non-Christian, ask it slightly differently. How will you survive when suffering comes? What will you do? What resources have you got to endure the rough times when they come? Because they come. Obviously, for some here tonight, it's a very real question. It's an obvious question now in terms of bereavement or physical sickness and exhaustion or depression. How will the Lord keep you? Well, even if you're not a Christian, how are you just going to keep going? What resources have you got to keep going in this life? Of course, for many of us, that won't be the case. And um, certainly in the West, you can, you can happily survive, I think, until your mid-30s, at least probably, without major sufferings probably going on in your life, without anything going calamitously wrong. You can do that. But it will happen. Don't really be really miserable about it, but it'll happen. At some point in our lives, there is a job loss. There is illness. There is a relationship breakdown that is deeply painful. And if none of those things, there is death of those whom we love. You can't avoid it forever. So what will you do? How will you stand? How will you keep going? What resources have you got for when those times come? So glad you came. (laughs) Well, we need to hear this. Even if it isn't you right now, you need to hear this. Of course, you couldn't have, you could have gone elsewhere or just stayed at home. Well, you happily done that. You could have gone elsewhere. And sadly, there'll be other churches in London or up and down the land that will teach you different things. So the Christian life, the paradigm of the Christian life would be uh, one degree of, of uh, triumph on to the next, to the next, to the next. The role of God is just to smooth your path and, and make life easy for you to um, help you become something even more wonderful. Now, there is truth in that, some truth. But if you just swallow that, you'll collapse when something goes wrong. You're just not going to endure life like that. If that is just, if it is merely that as your paradigm of the Christian life. So here in Romans 8, Paul gives us the resources to cope, to persevere, to endure through suffering. We don't look at them all tonight. Tonight we're just looking at uh, verses 17 to 27. And he gives us a couple of the resources we need there. Hope and the Spirit. Those are primarily the ones we'll talk about tonight. Hope for the future and the Spirit 
aiding us in the present. But there's more next week. God's purposes, his plans. So it's good to read on to the end of the chapter. Because we won't say it all tonight. But we start to look at the resources that God gives us. And don't mishear me, it's not a, a three-step guide to getting through pain. It's not a handy-dandy toolkit. Here's what you do when life goes wrong. But these are deep truths that if we understand them and uh, take them to the heart, they'll give us what we need to keep going, to endure, even through the very worst of times. We need to start reading verse 17. Uh, verse 17, which gives us the, uh, the context. Feel free, grab it, turn it off. <laughs> we need to go back to verse 17, because we get a bit of the, uh, the context which sets up this, um, this section here. Paul writes, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now that is a deeply wonderful, deeply unsettling verse. Do you see what he says there? We're going we're gonna to inherit with Jesus Christ. We are going to be an heir and, and, and reign with him if, if we share in his sufferings. We have to endure suffering to be with Jesus Christ in glory the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. Let's just call it glory, it's simple. We need to endure that to be there with him. Which throws up some questions. Well, okay, um, how, how much? Uh, what kind? Do, really? Well, yes, it's very clear. But w- what do you mean, Paul? Well, this passage, uh, particularly 17 then to 27, defines what he means by suffering. And really, it's this, uh, this language of groaning. It is the frustrations of life in this world. So, or you could look on to verse 35 where he gives us a, a little bit of a list. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, anything the world can throw at you. Sort of the trials of life. You need to endure through them by trusting in Jesus Christ if, you may, if you're going to make it to glory. You need to keep holding on to him through these sufferings. But it's unavoidable. No suffering. No glory, but glibly, no pain, no gain, no cross, no crown. You can't have one without the other. So suffering is, I'd suggest, it's an inevitable experience of life in this world. But it's also an inescapable fact of Christian discipleship. You cannot be with Jesus Christ unless you have endured with him, by trusting in him through the trials of this life. They have to come. Okay, so what's going to keep us going through that? Two things, as I say, two things he really highlights for us here. Uh, The first, uh, well, hope and the spirit praying for us. Let's look at them in turn. Hope sustains us, even in the present. Now, verse 18 is sort of, it's the headline over the passage, really. Verse 18, certainly down to verse 30, possibly even to the end of the chapter. It's the big banner headline, so we need to dwell a little bit on this. Let me read it. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, I think it's a pretty common mistake that people make, Christians and non-Christians, that they think that um, a future glory is a compensation for life in this world. 
And that's what it is. So, you know what, things have gone a bit wrong in this world from time to time. I might give it a minus 10, but it's all right, because heaven will be a plus 10, so I'll be compensated, and it'll all even out in the, it'll even out in the end. Wrong. Do you see what he says? No comparison. So you could think of, you know, some flipping examples. Um, would you pay five pounds for a two-week, all expenses paid, everything thrown in, holiday in the Maldives. Five pounds, holiday in the Maldives. Mm, uh, yes. Uh, I think you would. There's no comparison. One is five, you know, it's five pounds. You can go and have a couple of drinks for that. It's useful. But that's, that's terrific. Would you pay ten pounds for a house in Mayfair? Proper house, not Monopoly house, proper house. Five stories, blue plaque, famous dead person lived here. <laughs> Ten pounds, house in Mayfair. You, you don't put them in the scales and think, oh, it's a close thing, it's a close thing. I don't know which one's going to tip it. Ten pounds, useful. You, know, you can do things with ten pounds. But you throw them in a scale and it's, you know, house in Mayfair, wins every time. No comparison, you wouldn't even think about it. It's a no-brainer. Paul... Would you endure present sufferings for future glory? No, none of that. Yes, it's a no-brainer. You chuck them in the scales. Present suffering, future glory. You can't compare them. They're not even close. One wildly outweighs the other. You don't, don't compare them. Don't get into your head, well, this life's a bit hard, but it'll be better in heaven. I'll be compensated. If you're going through rough times, yes, life in this world is hard, but that world, oh my goodness... Oh my goodness, there's no comparison, can't compare it. Completely different scale of things. Five pound holiday, ten pound house worth three million pounds, whatever it is. No comparison, absolutely none. It's obvious, you've got to do it. The perspective transforms everything. And that makes a difference to how we live this life. So let's change the picture. Uh, two people, uh, two employees, they're taken on for a year's work at Sainsbury's, stacking shelves. And um, they're given one-year contracts, both of them, stacking shelves, and they're on the minimum wage, 5.50, whatever it is, an hour, and uh, it's dull. And they don't enjoy it very much. Um, and they'd rather be doing other things. So one of them, um, Stack Array, is told, um, look, at the end of the year, we write it in your contract, at the end of the year, you get a pay rise, 50% pay rise. You're going to go up to 7.75 an hour. <laughs> yes. Seven, <laughs> never do maths on the spot. 7.75 an hour. Brilliant. Brilliant. I still hate my job. I still hate my job. I still hate my job. You know, it's a bit better, but... Other bloke. Stack a B. Still, okay. We'll write it in your contract. At the end of this year, you get shares in Sainsbury's. £15 million worth of shares in Sainsbury's. Once you just complete this year on 5.50 an hour, that's it. You stop and we give you £15 million. It's in the, it's in the contract. Yeah, it is. You've signed it. We've signed it. How, do, how does he go about his job? He doesn't care. I stack my shells. I stack my shells. I'm a trolley wally in the rain. You know, he doesn't mind. It's a completely different experience. You know, he may not really enjoy everything he does, but... You know, he can whistle at work and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. His boss is rude to him. Woohoo, see you next year. Um, he doesn't mind. Completely transforms the experience because he knows what's coming. And what's coming, but it just can't compare. 
to the life he's living now. No comparison. Do you get that? Not just a little bit better, not compensation, no comparison. What we'll we'll get to in future glory. And uh, Paul goes on to give uh, a little more detail then in uh, 1925 on this hope that sustains us. First then, 19-22, creation eagerly hopes for us. This is very extraordinary. The, uh, the future that awaits us is so wonderful, so exciting, and so dependent upon us that creation, everything in the world, everything natural in the world, creation is yearning for it. Verse 19. Uh, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. That is, those who are Christians, it'll be obvious then. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So <laughs> creation is, I mean, there's a sense in which creation is a bit like a small child. You know, there's Mount Everest sort of, oh, when's it happening? They've been revealed yet. Come on, come on, I can't wait. This is a bit dull. I'm a bit frustrated in this world, says Mount Everest. I'm waiting for the Christians. I'm waiting for Jesus Christ to return and take his people up with him. That's what I'm waiting for, says creation. It's all been frustrated creation because of Genesis 3, where mankind rebelled uh, against God, rejected his rule. The whole of the cosmic order was affected. God cursed the world. He subjected it to frustration. The world is not as it should be. I mean, there's hope because it won't be that way forever. But this planet... And even the environmental disasters, as Carrie prayed, it's not as it's meant to be. Now, I had a half-hour mini-lecture from some imperial students and ex-students on Friday night. I tried to work out if this is the second law of thermodynamics, entropy. And we decided I couldn't understand it. But I think that's right. I think even the scientists agree that this is right. The world is making itself less and less ordered. It is sort of falling. It's collapsing itself down. It is frustrated. It is groaning and creaking and descending into chaos. It's dying and decaying, this world. I mean, it's very slowly, very slowly, of course. But the scientists tell us, so I think, that um, that's what's happening. More importantly, God tells us That's what's happening in the world. Verse 22 is a bit like childbirth. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. It's painful. Creation is waiting for God's children to be revealed, and it's painful, but it's hopeful. That's the nature of childbirth. You know, I mean, it's extraordinarily painful, so it seemed to me. Um, but there's purpose at the end of it. It's not like just enduring some pain which is purposeless, trying to pass a gallstone or something, which is just excruciating, and then, and then what do you get at the end of it? It's just a, a lump of stone. Labor is painful, but there's hope. It's wonderful. It's purpose. It's what creation is enduring. Yes, it's frustrated, but there's purpose. It knows what's coming next. This is, oh, this is sensational, I think, when you think about it. The, um, all your wonderful sights in the world, the Grand Canyon, the Great Barrier Reef, the, the wonderful mountain ranges, they're all pretty good, aren't they? 
They're all dying. They're, they're not what they will be. There'll be so much more. You can imagine a conversation, well, maybe you can't, but I can. I'm a bit like this. You can imagine a conversation between the Matterhorn and the Eiger Mountain. And Matterhorn says, I can't wait for this world to end. I hate it. What do you, Eiger says, what are you talking about, Matterhorn? I mean, we're brilliant. People love us. You're, you know, look at, you're outstandingly beautiful, and I'm even more so. More people come to me than to you and ski down us every year and walk down us. You know, you're, you're thoroughly impressive, Matterhorn. Yes, but Iger, do you not realize what we'll be? We're impressive now. But when we're liberated from our bondage to decay, when we enter the glorious freedom that was designed for us, then, Iger, we'll be stunning. Iger, you and me, we've waited thousands and thousands of years for this, you know, for the day that's coming. When God reveals all his people, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Iger, do you not realize how wonderful we'll become on that day? See, creation is eagerly hoping for us. It's extraordinary. An extraordinary truth. So C.S. Lewis, in The the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, in many ways, of course, he's pointing to biblical pictures. He he tries to make this point. Narnia. It is a truer, deeper, richer world. The trees whisper. The animals converse. You know, it's like this world, but just a lot more interesting and and stunning and powerful. And at the end of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the four Pevensey children. So Aslan has died and saved them. But it doesn't end there. They go and reign on thrones over Narnia, over this extraordinary new creation. That's it. I mean, and Lewis is saying, that's us. That's Christians. That's you if you believe in Jesus Christ. In the world to come, in the new creation, it'll be deeper, richer, truer, far more wonderful than even this one. And you'll reign. You are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. That's extraordinary. And creation can't wait for it. But second little thing under this uh, hope, then we, if creation eagerly hopes for us, we eagerly hope for glory, the new heavens and the new earth, this new creation. That's what we're hoping for. Uh, verse 22. Uh, sorry, 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for the adoption of our, uh, our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Let's take this a bit more slowly. Uh, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, then you have the first fruits of the Spirit, not a part of him. He is a person. You have him or you don't. But you have the, uh, the first fruits, like, um, like the first flower on a plant that indicates so much more that there is to come. You have... Uh, uh, an understanding of what it means to relate to God, to know God. You have the first fruits. He, the Holy Spirit, dwells within you. And because we've got the Spirit, we groan. Because he's at work in us, we groan inwardly. Yearning for that day. Yearning for the day when the Lord Jesus returns, when we're raised up, when it is obvious that we are his sons. We enter fully into the adoption we already have, and our bodies are redeemed. 
This is not a, let's not get mistaken here. This is not a moaning out loud, but a, a groaning, a yearning inwardly. There's a whole world of difference between a man or a woman who sits at their desk and just moans and moans and moans and moans at work and moans out loud to all their colleagues. Paul is not encouraging us to moan. There's a world of difference between moaning out loud in the present, about the present, and groaning for the future. So one person just sits at their desk and moans and moans, I hate my job, I hate my job, I hate my job. Another person is yearning for to get home, see his family, or yearning for the holiday next week when he can go off and ski or sit on the beach or whatever it is. There's a whole world of difference between moaning, moaning, moaning out loud and this sort of inward, yeah, this is a little annoying at times. I'm really looking forward to that. That'll be great. Oh, that'll be great. Groaning. It's the, sort of, it's the same verb that's used of God's people in the Old Testament when they're in slavery in Egypt. So when the Israelites are enslaved and they're enduring a, you know, horrific, awful conditions, being treated dreadfully, we're told they groan to the Lord. Same word. They're saying, Lord, oh, we don't want this. We're wanting something better. They groan to him. So Paul, he's not encouraging a whinging about the present, but a longing for the future that sustains us in the present. It's a longing, knowing what comes next. Or it's the resource we need to help us now. What exactly are we yearning for? Well, uh, three things suggested here, I think. Uh, the first, then, is that we'll inherit a new world. We've said that already, the creation that's waiting for us. We'll inherit that. As it, Paul said earlier in Romans 4, those who are righteous by faith will be heirs of the world. We'll inherit the world with Jesus Christ, the new world that's remade. Uh, secondly, though, clearly we'll inherit new bodies. We're waiting for our bodies to be redeemed. We're already adopted as God's children, but that day we'll receive our new bodies and it'll be obvious. We'll enter into a newer stage of adoption. We'll inherit new bodies physically, emotionally, morally. Our bodies will be new. So physically, no more sickness, no more illness, no more exhaustion. And of course there are a number here who, you know this, you long for the day when there's no more depression, when there's no more exhaustion, no more illness at all. Physically, new bodies. What do they look like? I don't know. Paul says elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 15, it's like taking a seed and a seed that our current bodies are like seeds and will grow into a plant. It's that sort of, you know, if you had a handful of seeds in your hand, what are these, what's these seeds going to grow into? Well, don't ask me. I mean, a handful of seeds could be anything, weeds, I don't know. You, I, there's a linkage between the two, but one is small and relatively insignificant, and one is pretty wonderful and impressive. That's the difference, he says. New bodies, wonderful new bodies. We'll inherit them. But emotionally, no more frustrations, no more resentments, no suppression of unworthy feelings in these new bodies. Morally, we'll delight to follow the Lord. No more battling with sin. No more failure. New bodies, perfected bodies. And it's all still physical. We'll see, smell, taste, touch, hear. It will do all of those things. All which is good in this world, we'll be able to do but perfectly in these new bodies. So we'll inherit the earth, the new world, we'll inherit new bodies. 
And I guess implicitly, and worth saying, we inherit God himself. As Romans 5 puts it, we await the glory of God. Because the best thing about being renewed is that we can enjoy God himself. So we don't want to slip into a slightly selfish mentality when we just daydream about uh, being in the new creation and it's sort of like a luxury hotel and everything's paid for us and it's all about us being pampered. I mean, of course, in one sense that's true, but the best thing, truly the best thing, is that we'll enjoy God freely. Again, it's picture language, but as Paul can say elsewhere, we'll, we'll see him face to face. We'll look at him. Now, we all have those moments where we look at something and it just, it's captivating. Normally scenery. You know, the beautiful sunset. The, uh, the stunning mountain range. The, uh, the, the magnificent view. And we sit there and watch the sun go down. And it's just mesmerizing. It's captivating. Imagine looking upon God and his purity and his wonder and his love. And you look into the face of the one who is omnipotent, all-powerful, all-sovereign, who is all, who's the creator of the world, but who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Look in his face. And it's a picture. You're not going to, you know. But how wonderful will that be? We inherit God himself. That's fully enjoying adoption. We don't have this yet. He says in verse 24 and 25, Look, hope in this hope we were saved. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. If we know what's coming, it utterly transforms what goes on now. Completely changes it. We hope, and hope sustains us in our suffering. Secondly, far more briefly, the Spirit. The Spirit prays for us in our suffering or our weakness. In the same way, verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, what does that mean, uh, in the same way? Well, in the same way as hope will sustain us through uh, the trials of life, through suffering, hope will keep us going, in the same way, the Spirit will help us keep us going when we're weak in those times. He'll help us. How so? Well, let me ask you uh, three questions, actually. Uh, Why does he do it? How does he do it? So what? Uh, Why? Well, verse 26, sometimes we don't know what to pray. Verse 26. I think that's the nature of the weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for. That's why we need the Spirit to do it. And I guess many of us would have experienced that, particularly in times of suffering, what do I pray for now? Maybe we feel it more when we're praying for other people. What do, what do I pray for them? Here is this person, this friend of mine, she, and she said, can you pray for me? And I sit here and think, oh, I don't want to, you know, what do I pray? Um, yeah, I want to pray that she's healed, but I, I, will God answer that? I don't, I don't know. Do I pray that she's, she's healed completely? Do I pray that um, God gives her strength to endure through this? Uh, and that'll strengthen her faith, and, and it'll be a testimony to others when they look upon this, this Christian who goes through extraordinary times and still says God is good. Well, I don't know what to pray for them. I don't know what to pray for myself. What do I pray? But there's a sense in which it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter we don't know what to pray. 
because the Spirit does. He helps us. We're weak. What do we do? I don't know. But the Spirit knows. He groans for us. What does that mean? How? How does he pray for us? Well, it can't be simply that the Spirit groans to the Father with these groans that words cannot express. Uh, that would seem very strange. Uh, there is the, the, the Father and the Spirit and the Son. There is the, the, the Trinity and the whole of eternity. They've been communicating for all of time, for all of eternity. And then all of a sudden they turn up in you. The Spirit is in you and he has to groan. That would seem just, you know, what's happened to him? What, what's the language change gone on there? That seems very strange indeed. So not that. And the Spirit isn't subjected to frustration in the same way as creation is and we are. So it's not that sort of groaning, a yearning for the future. It seems to me that these are our groanings, which are also the Spirit's groanings. So he inspires and directs in our hearts these wordless yearnings and longings. He inspires them and he directs them to God. And we're kind of aware of it, this sort of, I don't know what to do, but I, Lord, help. I, I don't know quite what I'm meant to do or pray here. That's, that's the Spirit's work. That's what he's doing. I see verse 27. Uh, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. So there is the Father who's waiting to hear our prayers. He searches our hearts where these yearnings are produced by the Spirit. And he knows them. And there in our hearts is the Spirit praying the perfect prayer with us. Sort of this yearning within us. It's, it's the perfect prayer we need to pray. It is perfectly in accordance with God's will. We don't know what to pray. And sometimes that's true, isn't it? We don't know what to pray. We just have a sort of, I've got to do something, I've got to do something. Don't... Don't panic about that. Be encouraged in that. God isn't annoyed with you that you can't vocalize something. The Spirit is within you. That yearning, that groaning, that's his work. Praying out to the Father, the precise prayer we need to pray, even though we don't know what it is. So, so what? So what about this? But be encouraged is the so what. Our prayer lives sometimes are weak. But be encouraged. The frustrated prayer within us is the work of the Spirit. So think of it this way, perhaps. Uh, a, a very young child, a baby, cries. There in the, uh, in the cot, the baby is wailing and crying. And mum comes in and says, okay, here you go, here's the bottle, that's what you need. Now, the baby didn't ask for a bottle. Baby didn't ask for a bottle of milk. Baby said, wah, wah, wah. Baby was just sort of crying out, didn't know what it was saying. Mother looks on and knows, actually, what you need at this time, and, you know, you need a bottle. Mother doesn't sit there, stand there and say, well, listen, baby, you know, come on, give me a proper sentence. I want a verb, a subject, an object. Give me a proper sentence, unless you, unless you can vocalize it sort of clearly or logically. I'm not giving you anything. You're not asking properly. It's not like that. Baby just sort of, wah. I need something. I don't know what it is. I'm just unhappy. Give me what I need, mother. Mum says, I know what you need, even though you don't. Well, that's the picture here. Sometimes, we, what do we pray? I don't know. I don't know. 
But don't, don't worry. Be encouraged. The Spirit inspires groaning within our hearts. And the Father hears that and knows exactly what to give us. He answers things perfectly, even though we can't vocalize them very well. Now, don't make, don't mishear me. This is not an excuse not to pray. You know, we've, we've had, most of us had a whole weekend thinking about praying, how, when, what, etc. We're to do that. But there are times when we just don't know what to do. Well, be encouraged. The Spirit is at work within us. He prays for us, or perhaps more, perhaps more accurately, he stimulates these yearnings within us. And the Lord searches our hearts and says, I know exactly what you need. Were you like me, says the Father, and knew everything, could see everything, your life, the whole cosmos, the world, what you would ask for is X. Now, you don't know all that, so I'm just going to give you X anyway. I give you the perfect thing that you need, even though you can't actually ask for it. That's pretty wonderful. So here's how we get going. Here's, how we, um, here the, here's some of the resources we need. As I say, more next week on God's purposes um, for us in this. But here's, here's some of the resources we need. Hope for the future, which deeply affects us now. And the Spirit now. And he's in us. And he assists us, helps us. He prays the prayers we can't for us, with us. And the Father loves to answer them. And knowing that, that changes things. Imagine a man, uh, as we finish, imagine a man who, um, uh, he's a poor bloke, uh, never had money in his life, uh, never owned anything, never you know, owns a, a banger of a car, that's about the only thing he's ever managed to uh, accumulate. Uh, one day, an eccentric great uncle, who he barely knew, dies, and leaves him this estate, and it's a you know, a, a 10 million pound country house in the Cotswolds with vast grounds and lots of paintings and trust funds attached to it. And all of a sudden, this impoverished man, oh my goodness, <laughs> oh my goodness. So he travels there in his old clapped out car and he gets onto the, whatever, uh, just gets onto the bottom of the M40 and it dies. The car just completely conks out. The drive shaft drops out from underneath it. Oil everywhere. You know, burns, sets on fire. He's got no AA cover. He's got no money to fix it. What does he do? He laughs. He laughs. It's <laughs> what does this matter? So he gets out his smart new Apple iPhone that he's got, rings his new solicitor, who's his new best friend, and says, I don't know what to do. Can you just fix it? Oh, very good, sir. Yes, sir. Sorry for you. And he all gets sorted out. And he just laughs. Because what does it matter when he knows what he's going to? See, that just relativizes everything. And we don't know what to ask for even, but it's all right. For there is one inside us who does, and praise to the one who give us what we need. So don't Don't worry. Of course, these are painful times still. These are resources that we need to get us through painful times. I'm not denying that. They're hard. They're desert times. But we have got what we need. And of course, why does the Lord do this? Well, more on this next week. But it is because he's kind. 
He says, there must be suffering before glory because I'm kind. Because if your life was just one procession of splendor and delight and one triumph onto the next and and you never stumbled at all, you'd forget me. You'd turn away from me. You'd ignore me. You'd just get caught up in cars of this world. And so it's a kindness that the Lord allows these things to happen. For it turns us back to him. And we're looking forward to him. And we know we'll inherit the whole earth and we'll inherit new bodies and we'll inherit him. We're given the bodies and the earth to enjoy him. And so he says, there's got to be suffering before we get to glory so that you stay on that path, so that you do stand firm. Suffering comes and it'll assure us when we stand through it that on the last day we'll be there and we'll be there with him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank you for the reality of your word. Thank you that you, you tell us quite clearly that in this life, in a fallen world which is groaning with frustration, we'll have times of that. We'll have times of suffering in this world. There will be trials of many different kinds. But we thank you that you give us what we need. And as we've started to think about that tonight, we thank you very much for the hope you set before us. And pray that we will be those who stand upon the promises of your word as we've sung. That even when the trials and the suffering comes, even though it's hard, even though at times we cry, even though at times we wonder if we'll get through it, we pray that we will not be shaken that we will stand firm on the truths of your word, knowing the hope that's set before us, knowing that our present sufferings don't compare to our future glory, knowing that you are at work within us by your spirit, promoting the prayers for the things that we really need. Thank you that you're a father who listens, who gives us the resources we need. Keep us trusting in you, we ask. Amen.